Now let us turn in our Bibles <clears throat> to the psalm which we read, uh, Psalm 32. And while I'd like to refer to lots that are in throughout the psalm, I'd like, as God would help me, to concentrate on verse 5. So we'll read verse 5 again. Psalm 32, verse 5. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Selah. I acknowledged my sin unto thee, and my iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. <coughs> Selah. Two things by way of introduction. First of all, this word, Selah. It seems even to this day the Jews themselves are not absolutely clear with regard to the details of it. But it simply, apparently, it generally means to pause, to consider. Sometimes it means to pause and consider because something very serious and very important has just been said. Think about it. Sometimes it means, now stop, pause, something very important is about to be said. Listen carefully. It doesn't matter which of these is the right one. Not tonight when we're looking at verse 5, because there's a sila before it and there's a sila after it. It's worth Studying carefully. The other thing by way of introduction is to note how the Psalms were composed. How did the Psalmists go about writing their Psalms? I used to think, well, maybe it was just the fact that David had nothing to do and there's nothing in his diary for this. Tuesday afternoon, and he says, well, have a quiet afternoon. I'll compose a psalm. No, no, no. That's not the way they were written. Neither was it the case that David said, look, I want to get 30 psalms composed by the end of the year. I'll devote every Wednesday morning to writing psalms. No, 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 no. That's not the way they were written. How were they written? They were written what we sang in Psalm 45. Psalm 45, Psalm 45, verse 1. My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I've made touching in my tongue is the pen of a ready writer. The word indicting is not a word we use today. It simply means bubbling over. 
His heart was bubbling over with something. There was something taking over his whole being. And he says, I can't stop picking up my pen and writing it. My heart is indicting a good matter. What's the good matter that David is writing about in Psalm 32? What's the good matter? What's it about? I'll just repeat verse one. The blessedness, the blessedness of the man whose transgression is forgiven. That's the theme. That's the good matter Psalm 32 is writing about. How sin can be overcome. How it can be forgiven. You know, sin's a terrible thing. Surely nobody can live long in this world without asking the question, hey, what's wrong with this world? What's wrong with it? Is this world cursed? Why is there so much suffering? Why are there so many tragedies? How are there so many things going wrong? Why? Why is the religion? Why has this world invented religion? The answer is not just because of sin, but because of the consequences of sin. You see, technically speaking, Christianity is not a religion. You have to class, we have to put it in the classification of religion, but Christianity is God's way of salvation. God's way of blessing a people who have brought the curse upon themselves. But the world doesn't believe that. So it's got to invent religion. Well, our psalm defines sin and tells it us how it can be overcome. The remedy, as it were. As God would help me then, I'd like to look at this psalm, or particularly verse 5, under three headings, as God would help me. Number one, the Bible's concept of sin. Secondly, the Bible's confession of sin. And thirdly, and surely, surely, most importantly, the Bible's conquest of sin. How can you hear about sin and not ask, how can I overcome it? How can I get away from it? Well, that's what this psalm is about. First of all, the Bible's concept of sin. Who defines sin? Who defines it? Who's got the right to define it? The government? government? The director of education? The police? Who has the right to define sin? God. Only God has the right 
to define sin. God made the world. God started it all off. And we, the human race, made in God's image to glorify him on planet Earth, brought sin into the world. God alone has the right to define sin. What is it then? Sin is something or anything against God. Or as one person has said, sin is saying no to God. In fact, you don't even need to say no to God to sin. You can just disagree with God. To disagree with God is sin. Now, God defines it. And sin is unaffected by public opinion. The definition of sin is unaffected by different cultures. Oh, this is the way we do things in this country. Makes no difference. God's definition sticks through whatever public opinion is, whatever culture are in. God's definition sticks through changing times. Oh, the times have changed. Sin doesn't change its definition. It's break sin has broken a relationship with God. It's rejecting the authority of God. It's not trusting God. Not trusting God. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not a Christian. And you say, look, don't you dare accuse me of sin. I'm good to my family. I work hard. I'm a good employee. I do good to my neighbor. I don't sin. Do you know this? Well, what's uh, it's Romans chapter three, where the Bible says, "All have sinned," and. Come short of the glory of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Are you worshipping God? If you're not worshipping God, you've failed in the whole purpose of your existence on earth. We're placed here to live for God, to please God. And am I right? We please ourselves. That's the way we are by nature, because we're born in sin, shapen in iniquity. Now, the word sin is an umbrella term which covers all classifications of sin. But technically, it actually, it's, 
I'm sure most of you have heard it before. It comes, the word sin actually comes from, from, from archery, where you're trying to hit the bull's eye and you miss the bull's eye. You might be a very good archer. You might be a very good with a bow and arrow, but if you don't get the bull's eye, you've missed the mark. And that's the, literally what sin means, missing the mark. You see, we're back again to this. Not serving God, that's a sin. Not worshipping God is a sin. If I was to ask you, make, make a list of your big sins. Make a list of your big sins. Am I right? You've put down things that you've done that are wrong. Am I right? That's what the Bible calls acts of commission. But you know, with God is not like you and me. The serious sins with God are sins of omission. Things we've not done. We've not glorified him. And can I say if anyone in this building tonight goes to hell, you know this, you will not go to hell for anything you have done up until tonight. Because everything you have done that is wrong can be forgiven. So if any of you will go to a lost eternity, it'll be because of something You've not done. You've not believed in the name of the Son of God. Do you remember when Christ was leaving the disciples and they were so upset? And he said, don't worry, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And he, it'll be to your advantage that I send the Holy Spirit in my place. That'll be to your advantage, because when he, the spirit of truth, will come, he will convince the world of sin, because, because what? They believe not on me. We're back again. Sins of omission. They're very big with God. What you've not done, very important to God. Now, our text, our, our psalm, uses the word transgressions. That's just a certain category of sin. It's trespassing into forbidden territory. And that's why the commandments, ever since the fall, we think negatively. We understand things negatively. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. You draw a line in the sand and you say, don't cross over that line. That's a transgression. That's the category of sin a transgression is. Doing what is forbidden. And then there's iniquity. That's lawlessness. Emptiness. Again, it's been without law. You know, to have no God is to have no laws. God is our 
law giver. If you've no God, you have no laws. And that's the way we're made. We don't, we don't want to be under anyone's authority. By nature, we, you and I are born wanting to rule our own lives. We don't like being under authority. We'll do our own thing. We'll go our own way. That's sin. Because we were made to please God. And it does not come naturally. There's deceit, falsehood, and guile. And that's because we've been in the arch deceiver of souls has been in contact with us and duped us and deceived us. The father of lies. We've listened to the father of lies. That's how it all began in the Garden of Eden. Adam and God, so happy that first day. And then the third party came along, the father of lies, us, and we believed the lie. The Bible's concept of sin. Let's move on, secondly, to the confession of sin. Verse 6, uh, I, I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Now, in verse 3, you find the psalmist saying, When I cut, kept silence, my bones waxed old. When I kept silent. That is, when I kept silent about my sin. When I kept silent about my sin, he said, the more anguish, the more grief I got. But when I confessed my sin, verse 5, I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. And the Lord forgave me my iniquity. Now, in the Bible, confession of sin is quite different from what we might call the, the self-confession of a criminal. Notice the terminology. I acknowledged my sin unto thee. I acknowledged. It doesn't say I admitted my sin. I acknowledged my sin. <laughs> Now, the word acknowledge contains the word knowledge. There is knowledge of sin. You see, a self-confessed, a self, a criminal who self-confessed. When the CID arrests somebody and they take them in and say, now, look, we've got this evidence against you. There's that evidence. There's that evidence. You haven't a hope of winning the trial. Uh, just write out this confession uh, and uh, you'll get half the punishment you would be due otherwise. And so the criminal doesn't know the law. 
And he just, all right, he admits he's done something or other wrong. He's broken this section of that law or whatever it is. He's not worried about details. I mean, he doesn't know about this. And he just admits he's done something or other wrong. Confessing to God knows, knows what he's done wrong. He knows the heinousness of his sin. He understands the gravity of his sin. He realizes the wickedness of his sin. Disobeying God. You see, sin is not just a mistake. Sin is not just an error of judgment. And neither is sin simply a disease that we will say, I can't help doing it, so we are made. Oh, it is a disease. Oh, it's a terrible mistake. But it's far, far worse. It's evil. It's wickedness. And those who confess their sin feel the burden of it. They feel the guilt, their liability to punishment. They acknowledge, they know it deserves punishment. And God is not unfair, punishing them and sending them to hell. Isn't it amazing? The thief on the cross. The thief on the cross. The penitent thief on the cross. He says, I like to think the penitent thief was on the right hand of Christ. It doesn't say, and it's not important, but I'd like to think he was on the right he speaks to the thief two crosses away. And he says, we receive the due reward of our sins. Racked with pain. Crucifixion was recognized to be the most cruel death which any civilization ever invented. But under conviction, and the Holy Spirit, the thief says, we'll get what we deserve. This is our just reward. Acknowledging sin. Not just admitting I've done something or rather wrong. Okay, if that's what you want for peace, I'll sign it. No. Feeling, realizing how wrong, how evil, how bad. And grieving over it. Now, confession of sin is to God. I acknowledge mine iniquity unto thee. I acknowledge my sin unto thee. I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Not to men. Not to priests. Not to churches. Hosea chapter 14, uh, verse 2. You find Israel saying, O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words and turn to the Lord and say unto him, Take away all iniquity and receive us 
graciously. Return to the Lord. Take with you words. The mark of the true Christian when he sins is not that he runs away from God. He runs to God. That's a big difference. You see, saints are sinners. They're still sinners whose sins have been forgiven. But the mark, the difference between a saint sinning is he runs to God when he sins and asks for pardon. Very important to grasp that. He doesn't run away from God. The wicked run away from God. Am I right, boys and girls? When you do something wrong, what do you do? You run away. You know, boys and girls, I'm very pleased to see you here tonight. It's terrific to see children out at night. You know, I had a dog once. It was a lovely dog, but we couldn't control him. So we took him along to a dog trainer, and he was very, very good. And after being here a few, a few nights, he said to us, now look, he says, I've got your dog to do everything I want except one thing. He says, I can get him, I can get him to sit, I can get him to heal, I can get him to walk, but he says, I can't get him to do one thing. I put him at the end of the hall, and I come here, and I say, Candy, come! And he just stamps his feet. He doesn't move. He's not coming. And the trainer said to me, He's frightened of you. He thinks if you'll come, you'll get a row. Now, is that not like you and me when we do something wrong? Eh? We run away. No, no. You said, when you do something wrong, run to God and tell him. Do what the psalmist did. I confess my transgressions to the Lord. He forgave my iniquity. Which leads us to a third thing just about uh, concerning confession. There is no genuine repentance. There's no genuine confession of sin unless there is also some faith in God that he will forgive. Our catechism teaches us in the question what is repentance unto life? It has this term, an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. We don't use that word very often today, but I think the older ones will know what it means. Some idea of the mercy of God, that God will forgive. You see, despair is never a grace. Despair is never a grace. Unbelief is always a sin. Always. Do you know Satan can convict of sin? Satan can convict of sin. Why? How do you know of your convictions from God the Holy Spirit or from the bottomless pit? Here's one way how you can tell. Satan convicts 
to get you to despair and to say, there's no hope for me. It's too late for me. I'm too bad to be forgiven. Never, ever believe that. It's not right. It's a lie from hell. When the Holy Spirit convicts, his purpose is to lead you to Christ. Because you see, when we're unsaved, uninterested, and you hear about Christ, what's the natural man's response? Oh, I'm not into religion. It's not my thing. The Bible says when we shall see him first, when we hear first about Christ, we have no interest in him. And when, this, when we're convicted of sin and we hear Christ died for sinners, Christ died that we might be forgiven, then there's an interest created in Christ. And there has to be that. God can forgive sin, but only because Christ died. Or sinners. What a, what a wonderful thing the gospel is. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. And there's no point in talking about the awfulness of sin if there's no remedy, if there's no forgiveness. The spirit's subjective in convicting of sin is to get you to come to Christ who alone can forgive and alone cleanse and bless. Time to go to our third heading, which surely is the most important. We've looked at the concept of sin. We've looked at the confession of sin. Now, the conquest of sin. Do you know this? Do you know, sin cannot be cured. Do you know that? Sin cannot be cured. But praise God, bless God, it can be conquered. It can be overcome. How? Only by being forgiven. Bless God, there's forgiveness. The design, what is it? What's the difference? You say, what's the difference? If it can't be cured, well, what's conquering? It means conquering the design of sin. The design, sin's design is to condemn us to hell and to corrupt our nature. Now, it can be conquered with regard to that design, that it doesn't send us to hell, that it doesn't corrupt our whole nature. We're sanctified through Christ. Now, sin cannot be conquered unless and until it is first forgiven. Are you here tonight and you're unsaved, but you want to be forgiven? Are you thinking, oh, look, 
God will not forgive me my sin until I sort myself out with regard to this problem I have. Are you thinking like that? Well, I chose Psalm 130 to sing tonight for a special reason. Verse 4. But yet with thee forgiveness is that feared thou mayest be. You know this? For years and years, I tried to get right with God first to see if he'd forgive me then. If I could stop this sin, if I could stop that sin, if I could change this, then maybe he'd forgive me. That's not the gospel. How can I stop sin? How can I change my life on my own? I need Christ in me. I need the Holy Spirit in me. And verse 4 was a huge encouragement. Look at the order. Psalm 130, verse 4. But yet with thee forgiveness is that, or as it could be translated, in order that feared thou mayest be. You will never fear, reverence, respect, worship God aright until you're first forgiven. That's why Jesus Christ says, you've got a problem? Come to me. The gospel is not sort yourself out first and then come to me. It's not the gospel. The gospel is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. That's the gospel. Christ has the power and only Christ has the power to forgive and to create in you a new heart. Verse 2 says, Blessed, well, what's the song of a psalmist? Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That's the man that's blessed, whose sin is forgiven. And once it's forgiven, we can start then talking about living life properly. Forgiveness is a wonderful gift of God. Forgiveness is not God writing off your sin. You see, sin's a debt. You remember the Savior taught us, it's twice recorded, once in Matthew and once in Luke, the, the Lord's Prayer. In one version it says, forgive us our sins. In the next version, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But you see, the explanation, sin is a debt we owe to God. It's a debt we owe to God. If God, God's sin is payment of that debt, Christ paid for our sins at the place called Calvary. The debt is paid, and God cannot ask for payment twice. Once for Christ, and then again from you. Christ has, been, has already paid for all the sins of everyone that believes and will be in heaven. You see, how 
Oh, there's someone asking. How can I get forgiveness? Or given to this thing to get. How can I get it? Answer. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the gospel. If we confess our sins, it's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Well, our time's up. Psalm 103 tells us that he has removed our sins as far as far as east is distant. Oh, yes. As far as our east is distant from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Now, do you notice the what the Bible says, it doesn't say as far as north is from the south. You see, if I'm standing at the North Pole, Christ moves my sins to the South Pole. That's as far away as you can get in the world. But it can still be found. That's why I believe in the verbal and plenary inspiration of Scripture. It doesn't say he'll remove your sins as far as north is from the south, but as far as east is from the west. Think about it. There's no east pole. There's no west pole. Wherever you're standing, if he removes your sins east, you go around the east to find it. Oh, it's not there. It's in the east. You go around. Where is it now? Oh, it's in the east. You go round and round. And, round, and you never come to it. There's no pinpoint of east or pinpoint of west. And that's what the Bible says. The sins of Israel will be sought for and there'll be none. Christ alone can forgive sin. And he forgives it instantly. The moment we trust him. The Bible says in the book of Daniel, speaking in prophecy, he will make an end of sin and he will finish transgression. He'll make an end of sin and finish transgression. No one else can do that but Christ. And he will do it for all who ask. I think the most powerful version of the Bible, and I don't know, but I might have been converted through it myself. Is, is it Luke 11? Uh, if ye, Christ saying, if ye being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit who to now, wouldn't you think you'd say to your children? But that's not the gospel. The gospel is to all people everywhere. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Ask. 
don't go to a lost eternity for something you won't do or you don't do. Ask and you shall receive. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Do you understand now the good matter David's writing about? Blessed, blessed, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. May God, the Holy Spirit, make his word effectual to every one of us. Let's pray. Our gracious Father in heaven, be pleased to take the things of Christ and to make them ours. Be pleased to unite every one of us to your dear Son in a living, vital faith. May none of us grieve, quench, resist your spirit. Be pleased to hear us in mercy, to answer us in peace. For we pray all in Christ's name and for Christ's sake alone. Amen.